Welcome to Stories with Strengths, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from our favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. I'm Tyler, he, his, him. And we're just going to start out, peeps. Today, we're going sad. It's going to be a little bit of a depressing episode. We're not going to lie about that. If yeah, you no. are not in a space to talk about death, grief, the passing of life, spirits being transferred over the river nine uh the river six you mean river six i always want to say nine but then i say six and then it's not the river six this might not be the episode for you today and you know what that's okay go take care of yourself come back listen when you want to and if you don't want to at all that's okay we have tons of other happier episodes but today we're going to talk a little about some deep stuff and we just wanted to just throw that out there to begin with this As, one is going to be a bummer. <laughs> this one might be a little bit of a bummer. Um, yeah. But we are talking about a beautiful video game, one that we've both played through and fell in love with, known as Spirit Fair. And it's an independent video mm-hmm. game. Um, we played it through Nintendo Switch. I don't even yes. know if it's on. I believe platforms. it's on Steam also. I think okay. you can get it on uh, on PC, basically. Yes, but 10 out of 10, highly recommend. And you play as a character that is taking um, individuals that they have known in their life experiences across the river and helping them kind of come to terms and their soul come to terms with passing on. So yeah, we're talking about death, dying, and grief. And we were trying to think of a not so depressing get to know you question, but also I mean, there's not too much going around it, but this is something me and Tyler have actively talked about ourselves. So it's not Mm -hmm. like a huge shock for each other to talk about this. Uh, So Tyler, as we get to know you, what are your final wishes? (laughs) (laughs) You know, nice and light. Nice and light. Um, I have said that I don't mind. I don't much matter what happens to uh, my my body, my corporeal form, uh, because I'm not going to be using it anymore um but what i would prefer as far as like a gathering or celebration is like similar to an irish wake just not with the body there yes uh basically have a big party in a bar do some karaoke tell some stories together uh have you know the groups of people in my life who uh you know don't necessarily normally intersect have some of those people intersect and be able to tell stories about me and about them and that is kind of what I would want uh not anything super flashy or fancy mm-hmm. um but really just more about connection between the people that knew me and cared about me and maybe a little bit of singing involved with that too and definitely some drinking involved for everybody there absolutely absolutely um right because you know death and dying isn't all just about the body it's also about the celebration of life Mm -hmm. after and we got to celebrate the life exactly what about for you well for me because i am loud and obnoxious and i do love to have the last punny joke i jokingly always say i want to go out with a bang so i do want to be cremated i want my ashes packed into some fireworks I want to be that sick, twisted individual and I want to go out with a bang. But it also means like, again, that celebration of life, kind of going out with something beautiful, something joyful, something loud, something colorful. And I want to go out over a lake with some fireworks. I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask for. 
Not at all. Not, Not at, at all. all. <laughs> so I've also accepted any kind of form of just projectile like booms, but fireworks are the most preferable. Yes, because I think cannons would probably be more accessible given your history. Uh, yes, but uh, <laughs> you never know. You never know yeah, what you'll yeah, have yeah, access yeah. to hopefully in the far, far, yeah. far Very future. distant future. Distant futures. And um, with that said, like, I know death and dying is a sensitive topic to a lot of individuals, depending definitely with where we are nowadays, with all that's going on in our world. Um, so again, take care of yourself. You don't, we won't be offended if this is a too heavy of an episode for you. Also remember that death and, that death and dying is a part of life and it's a part mm-hmm. of a conversation and it's a scary conversation because it involves loss and grief and sadness. And there's also a celebration of life that happens within it. Yes. And I think this game is such a beautiful example of all the different aspects of grief and love and loss and Tyler mm-hmm. with that said I do believe you have a new character I do I do I I wasn't sure how to necessarily couch this as like I am the therapist in this world because that would mean I'm dead and on the yes. boat I guess <laughs> um which if that's the case I guess that's the case because that's really the whole world of this game takes place in the afterlife mm-hmm. uh or well the first stage of the afterlife yes. sort of like um the oh, a waiting room of the good place. I, sure 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 <laughs> the waiting room of the good place the catholic uh idea purgatory. of purgatory yes um you know sort I, of you went very religious i went yeah. very pop culture it's yeah. the waiting room of the good place <laughs> it's uh, the train station you don't yeah. know where you're at <laughs> Yeah, it's basically just this in-between space that you're in for a little while before moving on to the next step. Um, And I am on this boat uh, being driven by a young woman named Stella and uh, happened to find myself talking to a uh, a gentleman, uh, and I'll describe him now. This is probably my favorite demographics I've ever had to put together for this so far. Uh, I don't know. Oswald was a close one, as yes. and it's similar for similar reasons. Uh, so I am talking to Atul. Atul is in his thirties, maybe forties. Uh, he's actually a lot younger than I thought he was playing through the game, but after having read about the character a little bit more. Uh, he, yeah, I thought he was like in his fifties, maybe sixties. I thought he was a little bit older. Um, more depressing, but okay. Yeah, no, he's like in his thirties, maybe his forties, but he's definitely like a, a younger adult. Um, he is a frog. <laughs> that is his, uh, that is his cultural, uh, his cultural identity is a frog. Yeah. Uh, he is heterosexual. He is a cisgender male. He, uh, was married with children technically um and we're talking with him specifically about the one main thing that i think is most important as a therapist to talk to him about which is being happy on the outside while you are emotional on the inside and this is something that he does throughout our conversations with each other let's just find the joy in the little things let's do that let's do that without acknowledging some of the deeper feelings he's feeling. And I was gonna say darker or heavier, but really it's just deeper. He is keeping this happy-go-lucky attitude on the outside 
and really denying himself the full emotional experience of all of his other feelings on the inside. And the, one of the reasons, you know, we're talking about this is because this is what happens to men in Western society. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Tyler craps on the patriarchy. Um, so basically men are taught that we can be happy or we can be angry or we can be neutral and that's it. That's all you're allowed. And Atul is even denying himself anger at this point. He is just allowed to be happy. That's all he's allowing himself to be. And he is experiencing deeper feelings, loneliness, homesickness, sadness, um, fear a little bit as well. But instead, he just puts on this happy face and wants to be happy all the time. And so talking to him about how can we be a little bit more emotionally genuine, uh, and especially with me, like if he wants to be this way with Stella, who is his niece, there's a family dynamic there that maybe he doesn't want to show her specifically how he's feeling. That's fine. Honestly, it's not my favorite. Like I would prefer we're genuine, genuinely emotion all the time, but I also know that that's not necessarily realistic. So maybe when he's talking with me, he's emotionally genuine. And the way I talk about this with clients is just, you know, how are you feeling this week? And most of the time, especially early on, I get, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm feeling better. I'm feeling worse. Uh, But none of those things are a feeling word. And so back in the day, I would say, here's a feeling chart. We're going to look at the feeling chart and I want you to find the word that fits best for you. Nowadays, uh, for uh, a gift I got from a friend, a very lovely pillow that has the feeling chart on it. And so instead I pull the pillow up and I say, don't make me get the pillow out. Uh, and uh, we'll have them point at all, you know, point out, you know, the center ring is anger, disgust, sadness, happiness, surprise, and fear. Which one of those do you feel most aligned to right now? And then get more specific with some of the outer rings of the feeling chart here and discuss with them, like, you know, what does that feeling mean? What does it mean to say I'm feeling this way versus I'm feeling good, I'm feeling fine? Uh, What does it feel like to just acknowledge that feeling? And this is where a lot of acceptance and commitment therapy stuff can come in specific interventions. Like I want you to notice what you're feeling and look in, you know, kind of address your body sensations and where do you feel that feeling? So for something like sadness, a lot of people feel it like in their gut, like this heavy feeling in their gut. And I would say, okay, I want you to gesture with your hand over your, over your gut And just make this kind of circling open-handed gesture over it while you're feeling that feeling. And as that feeling starts to fade and go away, I want you to slow down the gesture and eventually stop when it's gone. And what this teaches people to do is to pay attention to a feeling as it's happening. Because if you fight a feeling, if you try to run from a feeling, you try to hide from what you're feeling, it doesn't go away. It's like a printer. It gets backed up. Uh, And if you have a bunch of stuff that's all backed up, then you have to wait for the printer to print all that stuff before you can feel the new stuff. 
And that is almost exactly how this works for people where you've been denying what you're feeling. Then all of a sudden it's like, I'm just sad for no reason. And it's like, actually, no, you probably do have a reason. It's just from like six months ago. And it's finally coming forward because you're allowing it to. And sometimes people I work with get really frustrated with this because they're like, why am I always so emotional? And it's because, because you're finally allowing yourself to be, and you had a lot of stuff backed up and it's just all coming out now. Um, and so I think a tool would be like that. It's just kind of like start noticing what you're feeling. You could do the gesture intervention. There's also another intervention that's more of a mindfulness guided meditation where you imagine the feeling in your body and then you imagine it sort of crystallizing into this energy. And I have clients describe like, is it a gas? Is it solid? Is it liquid? Is it moving? Is it moving quickly? Does it have an energy to it? Is it like, you know, so for some clients, it's like, oh, it's crackling with electricity or it's like ocean waves trapped in a ball and they're just crashing on into each other. Or it's a solid metal heavy ball. What does that mean? Uh, but then to watch it and observe it with curiosity instead of judgment about what you're feeling and getting a tool to even, you know, this is a slightly different therapeutic context in that I'm going to see him day to day because we're all on this boat together. Uh, you know, I, when I ask him, Hey, Atul, how are you doing outside a session for him to take that as an opportunity to be genuine and be like, I'm kind of sad today, or I'm kind of lonely today, kind of feeling homesick today. And to work through what those mean for him from that perspective. Now, the second half of this is the, grief portion. And this grief is going to be something that's a little different because we're going to be talking more about my reaction to what would happen with this person, because what happens to our tool, which is what happened to him in life as well, is he disappears. He doesn't get to say goodbye. He doesn't get to have this emotional cathartic moment at the door that leads to the next part of the afterlife. He's just gone. And obviously I, as a therapist can't process that with him, but I get to process that for me. Mm -hmm. And this is often something that can happen in therapy where clients just disappear and it can be for any number of reasons. It can be a therapeutic relationship, you know, um, implodes where you, I said something and they don't trust me anymore, but they don't bring it up in session and they just disappear. It could be, they decide they don't want to be in therapy anymore. And instead of having a regular ending to therapy, they just drop away and never schedule again. It could be that a client passes that does happen. And to process what the ending of that therapeutic relationship is like from my point of view, He's gone. He's not coming back. What's that like? What's it like to not have a clean ending? Because in therapy, often we try to have as clean of an ending as possible. That's kind of the whole point is you want to show what a good ending looks like. What happens when that's left messy? And so com coming at it from my angle, just to kind of voice this from my point of view, I think about those clients all the time, right? You don't forget about them just because somebody's no longer your client. And I, I think about every client I've had all the time. I've had clients that have moved to other states, so I can't be their therapist anymore, or they've ended therapy naturally. 
but I think about them all the time. And instead of doing the, uh, the very strict narrative thing to do, which would be to write them a letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't do that oftentimes because I don't have a, an address to send a letter to them or I could email them. Sure. But instead I just kind of do the acceptance and commitment therapy thing of accept that I'm feeling that of like, Oh, I miss this relationship and I'm going to hold on to that for a second and then let it go and let that feeling fade naturally because I can't control whether that client will come back into my life or not. And in this case with our tool, he's not coming back. And so what does that mean for me? How do I process that loss? Because as a clinician, that's something that can super happen. And I've been really lucky. I haven't lost a client in this way yet. I, I am confident that it will happen at some point, not because of any, you know, bad wishes I have on any of my clients. It's just most of the people I know who've been in this field for a while have a story like this. And so eventually I know that I'll have one too. And to like sit with that knowledge of sometimes somebody just goes away. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for me? Because, yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's not, it's not a natural way of grieving. But that is also what death is. Someone is here and then they're not anymore. And how do we deal with the missing them? How do we deal with the, like, the wishing them well, even if you don't necessarily have a grasp of what comes after? And you really just kind of have to sit in the liminal space of it, right? Uh, And for those who don't know what liminal space is, I just pulled out a master's degree word on you. Uh, You can follow, there's a Twitter that's just liminal spaces and I follow them because it's just so interesting. Uh, But basically a liminal space is a space like a hallway that never ends, but it just kind of fades into darkness at the end, right? Like that is a liminal space where it's kind of spooky, scary, uncomfortable for sure, unsettling. A little bit because you don't know what's at the end of that hallway and this is the same idea with death and dying mm-hmm. we don't know what is at the end of the hallway and i tell clients that all the time anybody who tells you they know how the universe works is trying to sell you something and so instead sitting with the discomfort of not knowing mm-hmm. and learning how to be comfortable in that from a clinical point of view it's going to be weird for a little while, but it's about understanding that sometimes people leave on their own terms and it's okay that really the, the core of therapy is knowing that this is a temporary thing. We don't get the end of the story. We don't get the last chapter of the book. And sometimes with my clients, I don't even want that, which is wild to me. Uh, I'm somebody who loves like finishing a book or finishing a movie and like getting that satisfying ending and that like ah, feeling out of it. But sometimes it's just better to let somebody go on and live their life. And honestly, that is the core purpose of therapy is to make it so they don't need me anymore 
And so to have Atul leave, which kind of without any fanfare, to understand that that's how he wanted it. And that's okay. Even if I might be sad and wistful about it from time to time, it's okay. He got to do things on his terms. Mm-hmm. And that's about all I have, honestly. Yeah. I think I say that same example a lot with clients is I never get to know the end of the story and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I got to be a part of this chapter. Yeah. And I'm not the primary character in your story. You are. But I get to be one of your NPCs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's right? really freaking cool that I get to be a part of that journey. Um, and I can say, like, I've had a couple clients ghost me in very quiet, peculiar ways. Mm-hmm. And there's one that I will always kind of go, hmm. <laughs> Because I don't know what happened at the end of their story. I yeah. only saw them for less than a handful of times. And uh, it will always, but I think that's, you know, even if you worked with a client for, you know, uh, the therapeutic end goal of time, <laughs> yeah. you met the goals and then you, you had a beautiful termination session and you send them on their way, it would be weird not to go, hmm, I wonder yeah. what would happen next. Yeah, or or just like six months down the road, be like, I wonder how they're doing. Right. Um, and I think yeah. in people, even in people in our lives who come in and out in different chapters in different ways and thinking about how often the people in our lives from like the college years or that one random class, like they disappear. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really beautiful about the therapeutic relationship is we can teach people that people can come in and out of your life make a huge impact leave a lasting little in your story and have it be positive yeah and it doesn't have to be a negative leave it can you can find some positivity from that goodbye absolutely so you kind of talked about it a little bit like we always <laughs> kind of do near the end but, yes but what what made you go down this path well this game has a lot of characters that were like oh that would be so interesting to talk about because i emotionally connected to this game more so than i've emotionally connected Mm -hmm. to pretty much any other game i've ever played um because of the themes that Mm -hmm. they're talking about and you as the player are helping these people achieve what they need to like learn the lessons they need to learn to pass on yeah and playing the game and then you like have this big family dinner with Atul, like that's the last big thing that happens before mm-hmm. he leaves. You have this big family dinner, you go on the boat, a few days pass and he's gone. And the way that the game kind of works is you know that people have passed on because you see their, their like constellation in the sky yeah. at night. And so he disappears, and then the next night, his constellations in the sky. And so you, as the player, know, oh, he's his story is done. He went to the door without me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's made in such a way that there you can have a different reaction depending on like where you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, like because I think for at the beginning, I was like, 
disappointed, I think, more than anything else. It's like, oh, I really wanted to have that moment with him because I really loved him as a character. He's like this big, fun-loving And he stays uncle. on the boat for a long time. Yeah. He's one of the first people you pick up and he's one of the last people that goes away. Yeah. And uh, it's to, like he's this constant presence and you kind of end up taking him for granted because mm-hmm. of that. And so when he leaves, it's like, oh, I miss not having him here. And I, it's disappointing that I didn't get to like say goodbye. And then it slowly dawns on you that that's the point. Yeah. That every character in this game goes through this different, this different version of what grief is. And some of them are really heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Atul for me was one of those. The other one was Alice. Alice mm-hmm. was just like... Uh, and we're not talking about Alice in this episode, so yeah, I'm gonna so go I can it. spoil a little bit. So Alice is the hedgehog. Mm-hmm. That was my second pick. So yeah, because yeah, it hits so close to home. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alice is a hedgehog with dementia. Mm-hmm. And slowly over the course of her being on the boat, she starts losing her memory and then mm-hmm. starts losing her physical ability to like mm-hmm. move around. And so you have to mixes you up with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you have to like grab her by the arm and walk her very slowly to the front of your boat. And by the time you're doing this, your boat's been upgraded a few times. It's really big. So this slow walk takes some time. And again, it's very intentional Mm -hmm. of like, she's old and she needs help and she's losing her faculties. And then, yeah, starts mixing you up with her granddaughter uh, to the point where in order to get her to go through the ever door, which is the door that leads to the next part of the afterlife, you have to dress like her granddaughter so that you can convince her to get on the little boat and go. Mm -hmm. And that is like the last interaction with her is that she's talking to you like you're her granddaughter and then you like hug her and she moves on. And oh, yeah, that absolutely just obliterated me like cried mm-hmm. at a video game like I cry at almost every movie and tv show I watch like that's just me but I very very rarely cry playing video games but for whatever reason this one was just like like that story just hit me like a truck and then Atul's story like that slow realization was such a cool way of telling that of Mm -hmm. like it's not just oh I wonder where he's at it's like oh he's not okay where is he oh then you get like a quest like go talk to people see where he's at they're like I haven't seen him Mm -hmm. and then it slowly dawns on you that oh he he left and then you see the constellation in the sky and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you, he left. Uh, and I just, I found that so powerful. Um, huh, yeah, there's yeah. so many moments like yeah. that in this game, but uh, that one for me really stuck. And so that's mm-hmm. why I chose them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, thank you. Mm-hmm. And with that, We are going to be taking a short break and we'll be back with more Stories with Strings.
Hey y'all, this is Jennifer. We wanted to reach out and let you all know that we are on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stories with Shrinks and on Twitter, Shrink Stories. We post before episodes, little sneak peeks about what we're talking about and trying to engage more with our community about the topic. You can find that and join the story with us online. Welcome back to Stories with Shrinks where we are talking about Spirit Fairer. Uh, we just got done talking about Atul, who is my new client. But Jen, I believe you have a new client on the boat as well. Yes. And I'm switching things up just a little bit. We're going to do a little backstory of where I meet this client. Me and Stella, who is the driver of the boat, are currently working in a hospital setting. Stella is the nurse and I am the primary counselor for the palliative care team for an eight-year-old boy with a terminal diagnosis named Stanley. And we are starting to transition to the end of life care with him and um, begin the therapeutic and nursing processing. So me and Stella are working closely on this case together and giving him and his family the support they need as they start to explain to him what's going on and what will be going on in this process and start to kind of just prepare him and prepare the family. So again, Stanley is an eight-year-old little boy. He is so cheerful and so whimsical. He has an analytic mind, cracks one-liners, likes to put on little plays in the hospital setting. And it's, it's hard to see because he is such full of joy and full of spirit and tries to make everyone else so happy with him and doesn't want to make anyone else upset. And at times because of this, we notice he's extremely sensitive to others' reactions. Um, he, when given time to do, and we would be doing primarily play therapy, giving him a chance to play to the degree that he's physically able to. So it might be not necessarily bringing him out of the therapeutic setting, but bringing the therapeutic setting to his room where we would bring in some toys, maybe a sand tray, little exercise, even playing on an iPad, if that's all he has energy for that day and giving him an opportunity, bringing in a therapy dog, um, giving him chances that even if it's just in his room in that moment, if that's all the energy he has, giving him opportunities there and letting him talk and kind of describe what he's going through. Um, so he talks about his mom and that sometimes she's kind of mean and that his dad commonly tells him, well, people aren't really mean. Sometimes they just, their intentions just take the wrong path. And for him to hold on to this really shows that he's grown up a lot for an eight-year-old through his process of being sick and has that insight. And he knows that his mom isn't actually mean, that maybe she's just scared because what really comes out is that she, he's really worried about disappointing his mom. So that would be a, a therapeutic moment that I would want to work on him with was you are not in trouble for being sick. It's not your fault. You are not doing anything wrong and you are not disappointing anyone as he commonly talks about that. He's trying to be really brave. He's trying not to be afraid. He really just wants to be a superhero and win the game, but he's terrified of not winning this game. So we're going to commonly be talking about that narrative of being good enough and that it's not your fault that you're sick and that you didn't do anything wrong. And that if the people around you are upset or crying or yelling loudly, that 
it's not because of you and really begin to separate that you know their reactions is not because you did anything wrong because at this age and when you are dealing with illness watching your mom and dad respond to what's going on does get interpreted as I must be the problem I'm the one who's sick I'm the one who's putting this stress on the family I'm the bad kid here it's my fault that mom and dad are fighting it's my fault mom is sad and crying what can I do to make it better and trying to give him a little bit of relief that it's not your fault and that you just by being you are good enough and um but if you want to put on a play and make everyone giggle and laugh damn straight we're going to do that today you know we're going to bring as much joy and what do you need out of this you want to be a superhero great let's go get you a cape let's get you a superhero outfit let's get you dolled up let's actually bring superheroes into the room so there's a lot of different opportunities for kids in children's hospitals where individuals who do cosplay will come in and spend time with characters that are sick and who are in different stages of their treatment and uh it's a great opportunity because these kids want an ability to escape into something else they want to escape into a world where disease and illness and injuries don't happen and if there are there are superheroes that make it go away and you know what for that day you get to be a superhero too and we would talk about what it means to be a superhero and then we would also talk about the realistic weaknesses that superheroes have too like Superman has kryptonite. How does he get to like deal with being kryptonite and not being strong enough? Does that make him not a hero anymore? So maybe the days that you still feel weak, you are still a hero for so many people and start to bring in that dialogue. Um, something else that he talks about a lot is the idea that this is just a nightmare and talk about the actual dreams and nightmares he could be having um as a way to help him process what his thoughts and feelings are and what he's going through right now um and then eventually have that end of life dialogue with him of what is death and dying going to be like so often with kids we're afraid to have these hard conversations with them but it's their body that is going through this process and we need to be honest and patient with it and talk to them for the language that they will understand and not necessarily use the big scary clinical words but not also dumb it down and for him we have processed the idea of with stella and the nursing dynamic and whatever the actual care team has decided would be the best route also um that it's going to be just like falling asleep but there'll be no more nightmares and helping him process what it's going to be like to die um so then the second part of this, if we transition now to on the boat <laughs> dynamic and the therapist dynamic, it is not easy work working with children who are sick and dying. It is extremely hard. And he talks about how um, his time with Stella was his favorite because even if mom and dad couldn't be there, he liked having one person there that he trusted and knew. And damn that must be hard on Stella to have to lose this boy again right to have to say goodbye to this little boy again as she was the nurse on staff but then for like my experience processing like you know how do you do therapeutic services with someone who you know is going to be dying um who you might be there 
at the end of the day, especially if you're working in a hospital setting, you might be the, you might be the first one on call to be there for mom and dad or siblings. And then how do you take care of yourself after? Um, how do you stand strong for parents? And you know what? How do you even show emotions with parents that are real and genuine because you are a part of their journey too and grieve with parents while also not making it about you? So I think at this point, really talking about like the self-care dynamics for therapists that are working with individuals and working, I think like death and dying is not easy, easy at any age that you're working with an individual, but like it hits real hard when it's a kiddo because kiddos right like um and uh at the same time making sure that you are doing what you need to do at the end of the day to be able to take a breath and you know maybe hug your family a little tighter that day and that's okay maybe it's needing some alone time and that's okay too um and, you know, finding those healthy coping mechanisms, if it's journaling, if it's drawing, if it's cooking, if it's reaching out to people, if it's going on runs, um, might be my bias because it's the one that I tend to want to do the most and it's not the best thing. So I'm going to say the opposite, not isolate yourself. Even if it's, I don't want to be around a whole group of people at a concert, texting one person, hey, today was heavy and I just want you to know that I care and I'm here, and you're here, and that's awesome, right? Reach out to at least one person as a therapist when you're dealing with heavier cases. Um, that's what's really nice about having therapist friends, because you can reach out to your therapist friends and go, well, today sucked, and they can go tell me about it, because we all hold confidentiality with each other. Um, it's called consultation, but with friends, it's called a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> When you're running your own business, it's called, hey, if we talk about clients at this dinner, I can write it off. <laughs> right. Um, and for us, it's called D&D night. Um, yeah. But, you know, taking care of yourself because like this is a heavy, this would be a really heavy client to work with at the time of passing. And then if you think that we're now all dead on a boat, like dealing with our own grief and loss dynamics, and you're now going through this process again having to say goodbye to a child again mm -hmm. um, and watching a child in a spirit life come to terms with his death and dying from the other side, whatever that looks like. It doesn't matter if you were there or not, like that's a heavy process to sit through. And then how do you sit on the boat after saying goodbye to him? And I think some of the nuances of that is, wow, the boat's a lot quieter today. Mm -hmm. Something that we used to get mad at him for it's a lot quieter now. His little plays we miss. And at first we thought they were annoying and stupid and realizing there's nothing wrong with having negative reactions and having real reactions to things in the moment and then missing them after and feeling guilt or shame or frustration with ourselves is a normal part of the grief process. Um, Cause on the boat, he puts on a little play and everyone kind of reacts negatively. And I could imagine that next day after he passes on everyone going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have been so hard on the kid. And the thing is, he was still a kid and we're still going to have the reactions that we we're going to have. Um, and we still have to sometimes say no to kids, even if they have terminal diagnoses. <laughs> um, and it's okay to have the feelings that you have. Um, and process the good and the ugly and everything in between. But with him specifically, really focusing, I think the primary thing, it's not your fault. 
and you're not doing anything wrong and you're being afraid does not make you less brave and not winning the game does not make you any less a superhero right now and giving him opportunities to see that um, you're not disappointed you're not a disappointment for dying and I think that's that would be what I would hope to to leave him with to give him some peace at the end so yeah that's Stanley and me okay um uh yeah sorry about that slow slow, no no uh it's not necessarily the the topic itself it's uh again the slow realization of uh what i know about you and Mm -hmm. your history Mm -hmm. uh so jen tell me about why you chose stanley I chose Stanley because the reason I became a therapist was because I worked with a little girl who was dying of cancer. <laughs> and, and now I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I had to tell her no sometimes. The, I, I, she wanted to run around outside without her shoes on. And the number one rule was you had to put your shoes on to go outside. And I don't care if you're sick. You have to put your shoes on, kid. Or I'd be like, hey, don't spill an entire jar of little beads on the ground because I have to be the one that picks them up. So no, they don't spill the whole jar. They take one scoop from the little spoon. They look at you dead in the eye. They push it over and they drop it on the ground. Oh my goodness, the sass. (laughs) (laughs) But I think also what you learn when working with kids who have terminal diagnosis is the joy for life. And I got to work with her therapeutic team, which is why I went that route. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a part of me that would still want to work with kids and families in a a hospital setting. Um, And uh, it is rough. Like it is, it's hard. But at the same time, if you can be a little light, I think, in someone's life who's really hard. And that doesn't have to look like being a therapist. Mm -hmm. When I work with clients who have friends or family members who are dying of whatever diagnosis that they are dealing with, um, I commonly talk about like, you know, even if you're sad and crying, you just showing up can sometimes be enough like you don't have to try to put on a show if anything I tell clients to still be themselves like I was still the goofy therapist like therapist I was still the goofy nanny who didn't know what she was doing half the time um and because that was I said yes to coming in for one day to teach some sign language and then I became a therapist until the night she passed I was a therapist I became the nanny I was also kind of a therapist at the time I think yeah um, and uh you know, when I've had friends who have lost family members, I'm still the funny, sarcastic, well, can't take a serious comment for too long. Um, but they appreciate that because so often when people around you are dying, everyone acts different. Mm-hmm. Everyone was acting different around their parents. It's not, it's not contagious. <laughs> it's not usually. Yeah. Um, like cancer is not contagious that way. In, no, in her case it's not yep um and uh giving the you know that realization that you don't have to act differently and you don't have to not say the word death or dying or cancer <laughs> to make them not feel like it's a real part of your life and you know sometimes we talk about the fact that like if you're not willing to say the words it's not that you're protecting them you're kind of giving them the message that their story is not valid 
<laughs> and their experience right now isn't valid but also be yourself if you would crack a joke crack a joke um when my friend's mom was in the hospital and we didn't know it was terminal at this point but it wasn't looking too hot um I made a joke about dropping out of school and becoming a stripper just so I could like help her out so I could stay <laughs> in the state and then I brought a stripper keychain to the funeral because <laughs> that was the running joke at the time um and uh but my friend appreciated it because I didn't treat her any differently than I would normally would have um and again being sometimes that light can be so helpful and you don't have to put on a huge show you don't have to say the right thing you don't have to do the right thing just kind of be there be yourself um if I can make the advice don't ask the question how are you doing it's a horrible question to ask (laughs) no one's doing good (laughs) (laughs) Not great. Not great right now. Yeah. Um, and I think this, cause I, I mean, I had so many experiences with death and dying before this little one passed. Um, but this was the one that hit the hardest with the question, how are you doing? And that empathy for other people was out the window. Um, like I could have cared less about other people's issues during that year. Uh, cause I just didn't have the capacity to hold that much with something so serious happening. Um, but I feel like that was a really long tangent to say that's why I chose Stanley. But uh, yeah, it, for I, I was looking through the list of all the different ways that people have died. And unfortunately, I have a connection with almost every single one of them. Um, but this one, I think, was the scariest to pick and therefore the one that was the most important to pick because no mm. one wants to talk about kids dying. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, it happens. Yeah. And like I said, as you were going through the case concept, I was like, it was slowly dawning on me. And I was like, oh, no. (laughs) She chose this for a reason. Uh Uh Uh-huh. Not that I necessarily forgot, but it's something that is like such a part of the tapestry of who you are that Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's not not the first thing on my mind when we're talking here and that kind of a thing. Because, you know, you've told me that story hundreds of times at this point i'm sure at least a dozen oh yeah i mean there's a picture of the two of us in our my room yeah she's she's a part of my i'm a part of her story she's part of my story and i bring her up in the fact that i'm still very close with the family i I nanny kids for years and years after um but it's not I think the thing is i don't i don't make it a heavy story every time i tell the story it's it's not honors the person rather than just the event of the death Yes, because oftentimes the stories you tell about her are not like the, it was so sad and we all cried kind of a story. It's like, no, she was being so sassy to us. Oftentimes it's more so about her personality and that way of sort of keeping her alive in that Mm -hmm. way. So so yeah, so that was my reaction as you were doing the whole (laughs) thing. I was like, oh, (laughs) like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. and to like, yeah, to know you as a person, like, absolutely, like, <laughs> makes so much sense why you chose that one. Uh, and you're absolutely right. We're so uncomfortable with talking about kids dying, but mm. it happens on a daily basis. It mm. happens so often, and it's happening more and more often in this country because of right. violent means. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah. I hadn't even made that connection with our news lately. I was just thinking in children's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not to necessarily bring what is already kind of a downer of an episode even further down into the depths. It's just the idea of like kids dying has been in the news lately. Mm -hmm. And it's something that we are deeply, deeply uncomfortable with because it is almost like this taboo of life of like, Mm -hmm. no, 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 kids don't die. Right. We don't talk about death to begin with. That's fair. That's absolutely super fair. Uh, when we were talking about, you know, the, 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 the darkness of this episode at the beginning and during the intro, I was reminded of a couple things. Um, this is anybody who's the client of mine will know that this is exactly how my brain works. This is exactly how I sound in session. I was reminded of a couple things, which the first one is I have a really close friend who is a nurse practitioner and she works in hospice care. Mm-hmm. That is what she does is what she's wanted to do for most of the time that I've known her, which is remarkable. She's a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful person uh, and a far better person than I am because I don't know if I could do that. I always say um, hospice but, care nurses and are a special kind of angel on earth. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, like Absolutely. I've worked with some amazing ones for personal family and they're incredible humans. <laughs> yeah. And so she posted something on Instagram probably a year ago now, maybe last year at some point about how the more we talk about death, the less scary it gets Mm -hmm. and normalizing death as a part of life. And I like saw that and was like, Oh my God, you're so right. And so I talk about that with clients all the time. Right. We talk about like the ending of relationships and things. And it's like, you know, they're like, I, what is the point of getting in relationship if it's going to be sad. And my, you know, kind of twisted joke answer to that as well. All relationships end in tragedy. Yep. (laughs) All friendships, all familial relationships, all romantic relationships end in tragedy. Even if you have the best love story in the whole world at the end of the story, one of you is going to die. Yeah. (laughs) One of you is going to die at the end. Uh, More likely than not, one of you will pass before the other one, you know? And so all relationships end in tragedy, but is that the point? Yeah. Is the tragedy the point? And it's, it's not, it's what gives it meaning. It's what makes it important. And that's what I view as life. Like death is not the end goal of life, right? That's not like, everybody's not just going like, I am going to have the best death ever. It's going to be so amazing. None of us are thinking that. I will though. <laughs> I'm going to go out with a band. Sure. But that is sort of, you know, the thing that makes the rest of life meaningful. If we were immortal, life would lose meaning. Yeah. And we, you know, that's, I love stories where it's like somebody attains immortality and then they become a sociopath right. because that's kind of what would happen. So that's the first thing that I was reminded of. The second thing, and it's the same topic as just, this is more of a, a quick little jokey version is in the musical Beetlejuice uh, based mm-hmm. off the movie there is a line in the opening number, which the, the opening number is welcome to a show about death. Yep. And the show is indeed an entire show about death. And Beetlejuice, who is sort of your narrator for that portion of the song, has a line that is from the cradle to cremation, death just needs a little conversation. Yeah. And he, you know, is obviously the, the musical plays it with this lightness, this kind of comedy aspect of, what death and dying is but that line sticks out as like this very 
nice little nugget of truth of if we talk about this, we make it less taboo. We talk about how hard it is to watch somebody pass, how hard it is to be the person left behind and how hard it is to think about what your own mortality is. Yeah, because death is not a clean, glamorized process. No, not at all. No, no, like I have unfortunately witnessed the spectrum of how people have passed. Yeah. And it is not pretty no matter which way you go normally. Like No. <laughs> and so really to understand that while these things are hard to talk about, while our society kind of says you you shouldn't talk about those things are sad it's important it's important to have these conversations it's important to talk about grief and to normalize it because most of us are going to have an experience with grief in our lifespan Mm -hmm. and all of us are going to have to process our mortality at some point Mm -hmm. regardless of the age at which that comes for you right absolutely And, you know, you know, we kind of were joking at the beginning of like, what's our end of life wishes, but like, it's okay to talk about it. (laughs) Talk about it. And it's okay to talk about it with lightness. Right. Like I make a joke out of it, but like, that's, that's the plan y'all. You know? Um, Yeah. I want people to have a party and have fun. I don't want it to be like this sad, like depressing. And in my experience, the more you talk about it with family, with friends, the less sad and depressing it can become. Like it's going to be sad. It's going to be depressing, but the more informed we are, even if it's not on the docket for knock on wood, future, far, 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 far futures. Yes. It makes the process actually easier because when we talk about grief and dying and I talk to clients who are going through the grief and process, it's so weird because the first part of it is business grief and dying is a business at first where you have to get through the paperwork and the disgusting nuances of it. And then you actually start the grieving journey. And I, I tell clients like, don't be surprised if the first year is hard, but the second year is harder because you're past the business of it. Yeah. And there's um, no longer stuff to get done about it. There's no more checklists anymore. Yeah. Um, and Let's make that first year a little bit easier on each other, right? <laughs> like, let's talk about it. Um, and if anything, what I took away from my experience that made me become a therapist, you can still smile through death and dying. You can still make jokes. You are allowed to be sassy. Um, you're allowed to be stubborn. You're allowed to be yourself in the process of all of it. And I think that goes to the other side as well, to the people who are the supports in that narrative. You're allowed to be stubborn. You're allowed to be sassy. You're allowed to be yourself. You're allowed to feel what you need to feel. Uh, You're allowed to be messy and whimsical and creative. And there's no right way to go about death and dying and grieving. And there's no wrong way to go about death and dying and grieving. And at the end of the day, if, if we, well, like in the, in the, the, the video game, they all become little like spirit, little animals. And Stanley is a little mushroom cat, like mm-hmm. whimsical little boy. It's like, that's not a bad way to go out. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Not at all. Not at all. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you all for listening uh, a little bit more of a somber tone here at the end than we normally have, but 
If you like what you heard, leave a review on your podcast network of choice. Give us a follow on at stories with shrinks on Instagram. Take care of yourselves. I know I'm going to go take care of myself a little bit after we're done here just to kind of decompress. But uh, this was, I think, an important episode, if not a difficult one. Yes. And you know what? They're they're two of the same sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Follow us on Instagram. Leave a like and review all the things he said. And hey, enjoy some life. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Take care. Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com.